Again, if you have a Bible, we'll be in Exodus. We're going to start Exodus 13, but uh, we have we have a little uh, good uh, good portion of Scripture to get through today, and I'm excited. I hope that you'll I hope that you'll give me uh, a little bit of grace if uh, if it goes longer than 20 minutes, because I know that's my that's my clock that Trent gives me. So uh, <laughs> just the title is. Always second creation because we're very familiar with the creation of Genesis and what today we're going to talk about is his second creation about uh, eight or nine years ago Jamie and I had some very good friends who moved down to Dallas Texas and while we hated the, the silver lining was the fact that they invited us down to Dallas and they took us to a Cowboys game in AT&T Stadium Eight rows off of the field. It was opening week. Sorry. So that meant the Cowboys and the Redskins were both still in it, you know. Um, is this going in and out? Is that me or is it? Okay, there. Uh, so, so what I loved about it is, you know, here we are in AT&T Stadium. I think it was the second year. It was, it was, brand, it was a brand new building, um, and it was so, so cool. So as, as it typically happens with, if, if you watch football, sometimes one team jumps out ahead. Well, the Cowboys jumped out ahead in the first course, the entire team went crazy, and man, this is going to be the best ever. You know, here we go. We're going to have our, finally going to have our championship season. By the third quarter, the Giants had taken a pretty commanding lead, and I looked around at one point, and it was quiet in this stadium filled with, you know, I think there was over 100,000 people, and it was just quiet. But then, in the, in the fourth quarter, with about five minutes left, the Cowboys scored a touchdown, which brought them within one score of the Giants. And so, like, you could start to hear rumblings, like, okay, hey, there's a chance, so the Cowboys scored, and the, the crowd is cheering, and then, then they kick off, and we're like, all the defense has to do is make a stand. We can get the ball back, and we can win. So the crowd's like starting to really get into it again. They kick it off, and the first two plays, the Giants get the ball inside the 10-yard line. And so everybody's sitting down again. People are actually starting to leave, like, oh, this game is over. Well, the Giants had their first three plays took it down to the one-yard line. So it is fourth and one, fourth and goal, which just, if you don't know football, what this means is if, if they score on fourth and one, fourth and goal, then really the game's over. Cowboys aren't going to be able to have time to get the ball back and score twice. But if the Cowboys can stop them, they can, they can get the ball back with just a few minutes left and try to take the ball down, and they can actually win. But the Giants, instead of kicking a field goal, they go for the win, and they try to, try to give the uh, last nail in the coffin, but they don't score on fourth down. So now the crowd is, like, back in it again. 99 yards, Tony Romo, we can do this, maybe. He makes two or three good passes, and the ball's starting to move. It was less than two minutes to go. They're about 60 yards away. I still remember thinking this. This is, this is just, oh, man, this is so crazy. Like, the momentum swings in this game have been insane. And then all of a sudden, he gets it down to the 20-yard line, and there's like 25 seconds left. Makes one more pass and puts it on the 12-yard line, eight seconds to go in the game. On the 12-yard line. We're eight, yard, we're eight rows up from this end zone. So it is, it's great. Romo goes back, he passes the ball. With two seconds left, 
Jason Witten scores a touchdown. I have never been in a place that was so loud. I, Jamie was standing right next to me, and I could not hear what she was saying. It was so loud. Of course, I wasn't listening to what she was saying anyways, because I was high-fiving every Cowboys fan that I could reach. I mean, like, we didn't know each other, but we knew the Cowboys just won the game. The, I think it was the most epic sports memory I've ever been a part of. It was, it was just absolutely insane. On the way to our car in the parking lot, we were yelling and screaming at everybody. Like, yeah! I mean, like, we were jaywalking and nobody cared because we were wearing Cowboys jerseys. They would stop and let us go. It was, it was so much fun. It was, it was just these, these momentum changes that went back and forth until the final victory was decided. This is a little bit like what reading Exodus does. So last week, we just finished up Passover. Passover, when, when Yahweh walks through Egypt and, and the firstborn of, of anyone who doesn't have the blood on the doorpost is taken, but anyone with blood on the doorpost is saved. And the, the Egyptian pharaoh says, finally says, get out of here. So they're walking out and they walk out with gold and silver and treasures that were handed to them freely by the Egyptians. They're now no longer slaves. They are on their way to a place that was promised to their father Abraham hundreds of years earlier. They are on top of the world. Even Yahweh became evident to the whole nation, not just Moses in the wilderness through a burning bush. Now Yahweh is going to be a pillar of fire for the entire nation. Look at Exodus 13, if you would, verse 21. It says, And Yahweh went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. This is just, it's just the best. We're free. We're on our way. Yahweh's in front of us. It doesn't get any better than this until we keep reading. Look at chapter 14 and verse number one. Then Yahweh said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihaheroth and Migdal and the sea in the front of, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea for Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. I read that and I'm like, whoa, wait a second. I underline the words behind me, turn back, like turn back. No, 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 it's time to, time to get where we want to go. I'm sure if any of you have ever been camping or in a place where you've been out in the wilderness type for, for days and days and days at a time and you know you're going home, like you want to, this, that's not the time for sightseeing or souvenir shopping when you get in the car. You want to get home because you want to take a shower. You want to get in your bed. And now they're free and they're headed to the promised land and Yahweh says, turn back. Oh man, what is going on here? 
I think there's two reasons. The first, and, and if you still have your Bibles open, we're going to jump backwards now to chapter 13 again in verse 17. I think Yahweh knew the condition of their hearts. Look at, look at chapter 13, verse 17. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. See, it's like, it's like Yahweh knew that they would want to turn back when things got tough. So, it's like, had they gone the way they wanted, they, they never would have made it. They're, they're having to follow what Yahweh's asking them to do. And, 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 and as I was studying this, I thought, you know, have, have you ever considered that some of God's greatest answers to prayers were prayers that God never answered? Like you can imagine, like if the people are leaving Israel and they're like, we just want to, or they're leaving Egypt, we just want to get to the promised land. Lord, open up the door, let us go, just, just let it give us a free direct route. And, and if he would have said yes, it's the first sign of trouble, they're just going to want to turn around and go back. You see, for us, we want to be happy today. And so we pray, but God doesn't sometimes answer because God wants us to have lasting joy. We want possessions, so we pray and ask for possessions, but God wants us to experience contentment, not the gathering of more. So Yahweh knows their hearts, but I think secondly, Yahweh wants them to know his heart. He wants to continue to reveal himself, and, and he's going to do that by taking them through an indirect route filled with obstacles. Have you ever like stopped to consider just just think about this like that god is more concerned with our experience on the journey than our arrival at the destination he's never in a hurry to get us where we want to go because he is doing work along the way because it is the work along the way that makes us into the people who we are when we get there Y'all know many wealthy people who are miserably unhappy, right? So the answer is not money. God's straight and narrow path is filled with all kinds of crooked trails. And every one of those crooked trails is him teaching you who you are and teaching you who he is. But do you feel the momentum changing just, just a little bit? Like, like they're, they're free, they're going, and he's like turned back, and it's like, that doesn't seem right. The momentum seems to change. Well, it's about to change big time, because look at verse number four, back in chapter 14. We're back in chapter 14. Look at verse number four. But Yahweh says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now that word harden, we've talked about this in the past. This word means Hazak in Hebrew, it is to strengthen. He's not going to make Pharaoh's heart hard like you're going to force, like he's forcing him. He's giving Pharaoh strength to do what was already in his heart. He's strengthening his heart and he's going to make him ignore what has already happened. He is going to be so bent on going after what's in his heart, which is pride. He's giving him courage to move forward. Look at verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, 
The mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea by, by Pahath-Hareth and Baal in front of Baal-Zephon. You feel the momentum? Pharaoh is now chasing this large mass of people who are walking with animals and infants and the elderly and they can't go so fast. And he is bringing his greatest army. He's bringing all of his chariots. He's going to catch up with them. And the crazy thing is he catches up to them right at the place where God told his people to go. We read those two words that are highlighted before. Those are the two places God told Moses to take the people. Didn't Yahweh know that that was not a good idea? Look at how the people react. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly and the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh they said to Moses is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt is this not what we said to you in Egypt leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness I read their reaction and I clearly see Yahweh knew exactly how they would respond when things got tough. Well, you just saved us to kill us somewhere else? Didn't we tell you back in Egypt just to leave us alone? I don't, I don't really think that's what they said because if you read the end of chapter 2, they were crying out because of their incredible burdens. You know, often... This is so true in my life, and maybe you can relate with me, but when God leads us down an uncertain path, it's so easy to compare our past. And we use this lens that causes us to forget all of our struggles. Like, like sometimes we, we look back because we're facing an uncertainty. We look back on what we know, what we're familiar with. But as we look back on what we're familiar with, we forget all of the problems that there were back in that road. And I find, I find, sometimes it's easier to return to the misery of the familiar than to follow the promises of God into the unknown. I think, I think many people do that. They start to walk a path that they're, that they're unfamiliar with and they, they know it's where God is leading them. And, and, and as, you, as we shared with you last week, our journey of, of the Lord moving our hearts. And there was a time where I sat back as I was praying to the Lord and said, but I, I am so content where I am. But the question is, 
Are you willing to follow me? Regardless of where we're going. God's promises, even into the unknown, always offer a more abundant return. And Moses responds to the people. Look at verse 13. They're like, we told you to leave us alone. And this is his response. Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. Yahweh will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. Like, this is absolutely incredible. When Moses says, stand and see the salvation of Yahweh, the Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua. Yeshua, in the Greek, is Jesus. In English, it's Jesus. The word Jesus, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. So when Moses says, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, he is saying, stand still and see Jesus, see Jesus, see Yeshua, the Yeshua of Yahweh. I was, I was reading that and I was like, are you kidding me? What an incredible picture here. Moses, a prophet, is saying Yeshua, the salvation of Yahweh, is coming and it comes when you don't do anything. You just stand still because Yahweh will deliver you and he delivers you with Yeshua. I, I promise you, I'm studying this and my mouth is just hanging open. Like, we were singing this song and I told Carolyn just in that little break, I, I mean, if I would have asked you to choose a song, the Lord is my salvation? Like, do you understand what we just sang? Yahweh is Yeshua, Yeshua is salvation, Yahweh is salvation, Yeshua is salvation, Yahweh is Yeshua, like holy cow, what a God that we have, and all we do is stand, the problem is some of us stand with absolutely no emotion, There's times I've heard comments by those who stand up here and, and help lead us in worship that occasionally they, they notice people out in the crowd who just stand there and stare at the screen. And I'm just like, I don't even, I don't even get that. Like, how can you say, like, I don't feel anything? Like, no, you, you can't. Man, deep down inside of you, you are facing a sea, a red sea that you cannot cross. There are armies that are coming after you. You have nowhere to go except Yahweh saves with Yeshua. 
and you don't do a thing. I think sometimes our minds get in the way of our hearts. We love to try to figure out God. But man, may I encourage you, rather than under, trying to understand God, just stand in awe of God. Like, I couldn't, I cannot figure that out. Yahweh, Yeshua, salvation, I don't get it. But I got it. And I will celebrate it. Ah. The, the problem is, though, that like standing still, as Moses told him to do, standing still, saying nothing, and just watching, it doesn't feel like it's going to change the momentum. An army is coming. The Red Sea is before us. What do we do? And, and it's exactly what Moses says. He said, shut your mouths and open your eyes. That's, that's really good for many of us. And there's two things, I, two things I just want to mention about this. Because the, the first is that there are times in our lives where there's nothing that we can do except simply turn to God, right? Like for when it talks about, when we're talking about eternal life, there's nothing we can do to earn or gain eternal life. I think of, I think of those of you who are, have our parents and your children are away from the Lord. Those of you that have spouses who are struggling spiritually. Those of you who have loved ones who refuse to give their lives back to the Lord, Right? We can't change someone's heart. We can pray and we should, but we can't change them. That is a work that only God can do. And he says, watch because it's nothing you can force. I had the privilege this week of going and sitting down with some dear loved ones of a, of a member of our church and tried to explain the gospel as clearly and as plainly as I could. But it was evident that this that I, who I was speaking to, their heart was not ready to turn to Christ and Christ alone. And I walked out of that house. Here's what I thought. I've done what I can do. I've presented. Now God does what only God can do. I, I don't feel like it's my job to shove, force, cajole, market Jesus. Not at all. Share. And let the Spirit do the work that only the Spirit can do, right? But there are times. There are times when I believe we stop short of doing what we should, expecting God to do everything, including what's our responsibility. And I say that because we just read what Moses said, but I want you to see what Yahweh himself says. Look at verse 14. Remember, the people are all crazy and upset, and this is what Yahweh says. Yahweh said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, echo. Stretch out your hand, echo, over the sea and divide it. That's going to be an echo in just a moment. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. That's going to be an echo in just a moment. So here's the thing. Yahweh did not say stand still. Moses said stand still. Watch the salvation of Yahweh. Yahweh says go forward. The problem is there was nowhere for them to go until he made a way. Right? And then once the way is shown, once the way is shown, People can't just wander off their own way saying, well, Yahweh saves. Right? They had to go where they were. 
It, it's, it's like this understanding of faith in the New Testament. The New Testament writers, when they talk about faith, I do not believe that they think faith is something that happens in someone's mind only. When, when Paul and Silas spoke to the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household shall be saved. Like, I don't believe Paul and Silas were expecting this man to raise a hand and say, I believe, and then leave and go home and have no change in his life. Continue to walk his own path, continue to do what he wants to, and then occasionally say, well, I believe that one time. There was that one time I put my, there was that one time I said that I believed. I raised my hand and said I believed. Now, that's not what the New Testament writers were talking about. The New Testament writers expected when someone would say, I believe, that the life that they lived would display the belief that they shared by following Jesus. James is the one who said, faith without works is dead it's like the children of israel couldn't paint their doorposts and then stay inside their house the whole time they had to paint their doorposts and when yahweh said it's time to move they had to go when yahweh opens up the sea as he will in just a moment they had to follow his path not their own path it's true it's clear it's foundational for us to understand the work of jesus alone is the means of our salvation we offer nothing to god for our salvation however however we offer everything to god after our salvation act that jesus paid it all and then we keep it all. No, no, no. Jesus paid it all. It's all his. We do whatever he asks us to do. Not because we have to. Not because we're earning our salvation. But because we are so blown away by the fact that he would freely give it to us. We freely give him everything. I mean, the purpose of our salvation is to walk with and to get to know. It's the very purpose of our salvation. Israel had to follow the path of Yahweh into the Red Sea. What we cannot do is assume it's God's responsibility to save our friends and not witness to them. We, we can't assume that it's God's responsibility to answer our wants and needs if we don't pray. It's not God's responsibility to see the body of Christ thrive when we don't serve. It's not God's responsibility to magically take care of the needs of the church when we don't give. He, care, he cares for everything. We then offer everything in return. I really believe the greatest thing we could do with some needs is to say, I'll pray for you. But I also believe the greatest thing we could do for other needs is to say, I'll do that for you as I pray for strength. Cop out is really easy sometimes if we're not willing to give everything. Okay, so let's go to the Red Sea. Trent, would you mind... I've got a lot of verses to read. We're going to read verses 19 to 31. Would you advance them for me as we go? Verse 19. It says, Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between them and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand 
Echo over the sea and the Yahweh drove the sea back by a strong east wind echo from a few weeks ago all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided well we just read that and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground that's important the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea all Pharaoh's horses his chariots and his horsemen and in the morning watch Yahweh in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily and the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for Yahweh fights for them against the Egyptians. Then Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand, echo, over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, Yahweh threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a on their right hand and on their left. Thus Yahweh saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that Yahweh used against the Egyptians. So the people feared Yahweh and they believed in Yahweh and in his servant Moses. Oh, I hate that I read it so fast, but that was quite the momentum changer, huh? Like that's the last minute drive scoring touchdown. And I know that most of you in here, if not all of you in here, have already, you know the Red Sea parting. I have no interest in talking and telling you something that you've already heard before. I want to point out three echoes, and I, I realize the time. I'll go as quickly as I can, but I, 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 this, this is just so cool. I want you to see it. There are three echoes of this story Scripture. First, the echo of the Red Sea points us to Genesis and to a new creation. I just think this is, is absolutely amazing. Here we go. Genesis 1-2 says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. The word spirit is ruah in Hebrew, ruah. It also is, means breath and wind. The Red Sea begins with the wind, the east wind from Yahweh moving over the water. Genesis 1-4 says God separated the light from the darkness. Talking of creation. There was a separation of light and darkness in the of God's presence. It brought light to Israel and darkness to Egypt. In Genesis 1-6, God says, let the waters separate from the water. It was the waters below and the waters above with the firmament in between, the space, the air in between. And at the Red Sea, the waters parted again, but this time they parted vertically instead of horizontally, the separating of the waters. Genesis 1-9 says, let the dry land appear. God created dry land in the midst of the waters for his son Adam in creation and for his firstborn son Israel in the Exodus. So, do you understand the Exodus is a new creation? In that first creation, Adam becomes 
son of God. In this second creation, Israel is called the firstborn, the son of God, and given the mission to live out the purpose of the father. Adam failed. And if you know your scripture, Israel will fail, which is why Jesus, the true son of God, comes to live out the mission of the father, which means just as the exodus is the new creation, cross is the new exodus. Because Israel finds salvation through the blood of the lamb and through the parting of the waters of the Red Sea. And it is you and I who find salvation in the blood and in the water that pours out of the body of Jesus. In fact, we celebrate the blood and water as a church. In communion, we take the cup of the vine, thinking of the blood, and in baptism, we part the waters. I was like, that's insane. But see, the thing is, this new creation continues. It wasn't just the creation in the garden and in the, the new creation as God brings a new son into a new land, but creation, new creation continues today. As Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And as Jesus, the one who sits on the throne, says in Revelation, I am making all things Man, he wants to make a new creation out of you. And I know the first thought is why I failed. And I would say that that's perfect because he is an expert at taking a mess and turning it into beauty. But you can't miss this. Genesis, the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis contains more than one narrative with water and dry ground. Because in creation, we see the dry ground coming out of the water as he creates. But if we were to read a few chapters further, we see taking the water and covering the dry ground with a flood as judgment comes upon the evil on the world. So in the Red Sea, we see the new creation as the waters part, but we also see the judgment of God coming as they covered the dry ground with the Egyptians, the evil Egyptians within. Is that not cool or is that cool? Like, is your Bible not the greatest thing? Like, I don't know how that doesn't excite everybody. That's, to me, that's just, that, that blows me away. So the Red Sea points us to Genesis, the Red Sea. And a new revelation, right? So the waters of the Red Sea were a sign of sure death until God shows up. He purposely led them right to that spot because he wanted to reveal himself as the God who had power over the waters. Guess what we read in the Gospels? Jesus tells his disciples to get into a boat and he purposely tells them to go over to that side of the sea and he goes to sleep in the boat and a storm arises and the disciples come and they say, wake up, don't you care, we're about to die. Jesus steps out on the side of the boat and he opens his mouth and he speaks 
to the waters. And what happens when you speak? That is breath coming out of his mouth as the ruah of the Son of God tells those waters to calm down. And what was their reaction? How they said they were filled with great fear and said one to another, who is this? Even the wind and sea obeyed. In the plagues they had seen, Israel had seen the Egyptian people, magicians in their darkness do plagues, but they couldn't make the water obey them. The disciples had seen rabbis do miracles. They hadn't seen anybody tell the water what to do. You know what was happening both sides? Both times, creation listened to the voice, which means creation only responds to the commands of the creator. So Yahweh and Yeshua were both showing, I am the creator of all. Yes. And in both times, Yahweh and Yeshua said, I have somewhere for you to go. I want you to go there. I'm going to put you in an impossible situation because I'm going to show you who I am. You might be in an impossible situation right now, but there's two reasons why. One, you, you just purposely rebelled against what you knew God wanted you to do. But if you truly are following the Lord and you find yourself in an impossible situation, I'm sorry, I'm going to read this. Either God, let's see, you, how about this? God led you there because he knows you and he knows your weaknesses. And he wants you to know him and his strengths. If you're in an impossible situation, he led you there because he knows you and he knows your weaknesses and he wants you to know him. He wants you to know his strength. He's the creator. Last, the echo of the Red Sea. Find that one for me, Trent, because I think I'm a little bit backwards. The echo of the Red Sea points us to revelation. Ha! Genesis, the Gospels, and then all the way down there at the end of our Bibles, it points us to revelation and a new devotion. So look at the end of chapter number, oh, there we go. Points to the Revelation, New Devotion. Look at, look at verse 14. Chapter 14, verse 31. It's the end of the chapter. This is what it says. Israel saw the great power that Yahweh used against the Egyptians. So the people feared Yahweh and they believed in Yahweh and in his servant Moses. So like this, this takes place and like, yes, the salvation of Yahweh has come. We see, we believe. And what's their response? Look at chapter 15. If you have a heading in your Bible over chapter 15, it might say, might say the song of Moses. That's what mine says. The song of Moses. Amy, it gets really good. I'm just, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> These people went from crying about their certain death to, to celebrating their new life. It's quite the momentum changer. I picked out a few verses of chapter 15 that I wanted you to read with me. Look at verses 2 and 3. This is a song. Yahweh is my strength and my song. He has become my Yeshua, my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. Yahweh is a man of war, not Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not the man of war. It's Yahweh and Yahweh is his name. Look at verse 11. We sang this in that song you picked out. 
Who is like the Lord our God? Who is like Yahweh among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, echo. The earth swallowed them. And then in verse 18, it says, Yahweh will reign forever and ever. This multitude of people, mostly Israelites, some sprinkling of Egyptians that came with them, they're singing, who is like you, oh Yahweh? Now do you see why we're looking at Revelation? What does Revelation tell us? There's going to be a multitude of people from every tribe and every nation with a song in their mouth, singing to their Redeemer about their great salvation. Guess what song they're going to sing? Revelation 15, let me read it to you, verse 2. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands and they sing the song of Moses. Who is like the Lord our God? Verse number four, it says, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. Do you, this is crazy. The song of Moses, it was and it is and it will be in the mouths of all of God's people who are willing to stand up to the enemy and see the Yeshua of Yahweh. We will sing the song. We can sing the song of Moses today. So, may I encourage you to follow the presence of God. Go where he goes. Trust the path of God, even when it gets curvy. Celebrate the power of God. When we stand to close and sing this closing song, man, everybody sing. And then walk in partnership as he continues to reveal himself to you. Because he will continue to reveal himself to you as long as you keep following him. He's going to put you in an impossible situation, and then he's going to say, let me show you who I am. Boom. I am the creator. That's who our Yahweh, who our Yeshua, who our Jesus truly is. And he wants you to know. Would you pray with me? And then please, would you sing with us? Father, we thank you.